The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place, I promise you. The buzz today, survey says. Well, interesting putting the word buzz in with survey says. We watch TV and they hit a buzzer and they answer what they think the survey said. Well, we have some more solid information for you than just what a group of people think. So let's get started. This is the Internet of Things with Game Changers, so let's talk about the IoT. The Internet of Things is transforming businesses by creating unprecedented operational efficiencies for companies everywhere. It's also creating richer experiences for customers, and we all hear about the CX, the customer experience, top of mind. So the question is, are most companies, and to our audience around the world, is your company taking advantage of this full potential? Well, here's where the survey says comes from. No, no, you and they are not. According to a commissioned study conducted by Forrester Consulting on behalf of SAP in May of this year, 2015, early IoT adopters are using IoT mainly for operational efficiencies, but they're not changing their business models. And guess what? If they change their business models, it can enable new products, new services, and bottom line, new revenue streams. So the big question today is what is holding them and what's holding your company back from taking advantage of top line, bottom line benefits now rather than uh, down the road when it may be a little late to compete with the early adopters who really get the whole deal. We have a panel of experts going to help us figure this out and give some great insights for your organization. So Let's talk. The experts speak. First up, I'm very pleased to welcome Frank Gillette. He is a VP and Principal Analyst serving CIOs at Forrester Consulting. There we go. And Frank has sent me a very interesting quote from David Rose. This is from Introduction to Enchanted Objects. Uh, By the way, those of you wondering who David Rose is, he's an award-winning entrepreneur, author, and instructor at the MIT Media Lab. We'll just stop Mm -hmm. there. Here's the quote, right, Frank? Here's the quote. Your ability to understand and communicate with other scientists, other engineers, customers, and users. There's a long list in this quote. Your Mm. ability to understand and communicate with them is essential to taking part in the next wave of the Internet. Frank Gillette, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Bonnie. And how are you doing? 
I'm well, thank you for asking. I'm delighted to have you on the show and uh, very interesting quote. So we talk about IoT and sensors and now you're talking about human communication. I'm in shock. Frank, tell me what this all means, please. (laughs) Well, look, what what David is trying to get at is that he uses this fancy word in, in, in his book, polyglot, someone who speaks multiple languages. And what he's really referring to is the fact that, um, in the old world, if you made a simple product, you just sent it out into the world. But but now your sensors, your experience, your software follows that product out into the world. And and so that's transformative. And what he's really saying is it, um, the whole uh, business of creating experiences, offerings, and products is becoming much more multidisciplinary. And, and you can't be sort of uh, single discipline anymore. You can't be just someone who designs an excellent product and puts it out the door and then ignores it. You're really designing experiences and relationships, and that really requires a, a wide range of skills and capabilities to create the offering and experience and then to uh, work it with the customer through the entire life cycle. Interesting, Frank. It sounds like we're getting back to what we used to call old-fashioned values. Talk to people, shake their hand, <laughs> find out what they need. Duh. Are we really circling? You know, my favorite French phrase, which you don't, you don't know me very well, Dave, uh, mm. Frank, is plus mm. ça change, plus ça la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Is that sure. what we're witnessing here, multidisciplinary? Well, it, so- we're talking about it on two levels, right? If you're in the business of creating uh, something, taking advantage of um, uh, the Internet of Things and this ability to put sensors in, in products or assets, then yes, um, we do have to talk much more. You have to think everything through. But then you can look at it another way, which is to say once that thing is designed – because I think David's quote is more about the creation of the experience and the offer and the, the product. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happening is we go from a transaction, I sell you a hammer, to a relationship. Your hammer is constantly phoning home and telling me how many nails you did, how hard you hit, did you change your angle of attack, are you getting weaker mm-hmm. or stronger, just to make up an example. And so um, uh, there is a huge opportunity here to, to your quote about uh, creating a relationship, getting to know a customer in a way that simply wasn't possible before with the previous technologies. Thank you. And I have to bring in a, a comment from, we did a show on my Coffee Break with Game Changers series yesterday on business mm. networks and the digital economy. And some new terms came up, the Internet of Me, digital humanism, and digital mm. empathy. Empathy. Can you imagine empathy, digital yeah. and empathy in the same oxymoron coming to life? Right? That's what we're yeah. talking about. Frank, thank you very much. Great intro to our topic. Very, thank very you. pleased to have you on board. And uh, thank you for sharing the research that Forrester did on behalf of SAP. And now sure. I'd like to welcome our second guest today. She is Laura Merling. Those of you who want to know more about Laura, her last name is M-E-R-L-I-N-G. She's the global GM of the Internet of Things business for SAP. And Laura has sent me a quote from Rupert Murdoch. Anybody hiding under a rock? Rupert Murdoch is an Australian-American. That goes well together. Business magnet. In 1952, he became the managing director for Australia's News Limited. He inherited it from his father, Sir Keith Arthur Murdoch. There you go. Just a little bit of trivia. And here is the quote. The world is changing very fast. Big will not beat small anymore. It will be the fast beating the slow. I love it. Laura Merling, welcome. How are you today, Laura? I am fine. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Love the Murdoch quote. Talk to me. How does that relate to our topic? (laughs) 
It is. Um, it actually goes back to your your introduction. So if you think about it, many industries have actually been um, collecting data, having sensors on equipment, whether it's in manufacturing or in oil and gas, and they've been having um, sensors on these pieces of equipment, collecting data for years, but they've not done anything with that data. Then you have a whole other set of industries where people are just now putting sensors on things, and they're quickly turning that sensor data into value. And so what they're doing is combining it with data in the back office. And to your point, they might be increasing production and the rate of production. Mm -hmm. Uh, They might be reducing their downtime, or they might even be completely changing their business model, but they're actually leveraging what they have and using it to then drive and improve their business. And in the long run, if you think about that over time, if I'm taking costs on my business, not only am I bringing value back to my shareholders, but I also have dollars to reinvest in the business and getting ahead of things and taking it to the next level. So I think it's actually a perfect fit for where we're going and what we're talking about around IoT. Thank you, Laura. Very interesting. Have a question. Have you heard the term digital humanism and digital empathy yet? Is that new to you or are you familiar with those? Um, I have heard of digital empathy. Digital humanism, I have not. <laughs> and digital so, halo. There's always something new coming out. I well, know. I is that something? Yeah. Mm. Well, we we can combine topics here. Yeah, I, I've already scheduled those guests for a part three in January. So we might have to get all of you together and have a big powwow about digital halos and digital humanism. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. Good intro from you. And again, love the quote. And let's welcome back Ira Burke. He just pops up everywhere. Almost every third show, there is Ira Burke because he is an IoT specialist and he knows so much about this topic. Ira is the Vice President of Solutions Go to Market at SAP. And here's a quote from Henry Miller. This goes back in time. The book was Big Sur and the Oranges of Hieronymus Bosch from 1957. I I don't know if you were even born then. I certainly was born before then. Here's the quote. One's destination is never a place, but rather a new way of looking at things. I love it. Ira Burke, welcome back and back and back and back. How are you today? Doing great, Bonnie. Thanks very much. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me. Interesting quote. How does this relate to our topic and to what Laura shared and to what Frank shared and to the Forrester study? Well, I, I think just following up on, on especially what, uh, what Laura just said, that uh, you know, customers have been somewhere along this journey for, uh, for a long time. Right? It's, not, it's not new for them to be capturing, uh, to be capturing sensor information. And certainly one, one recurring pattern that I've found every time I walk into a, uh, literally every time I walk into a customer, to speak about IoT, the discussion might start around IoT. That might be the reason that we're talking, but very quickly it becomes a, a, a broader topic, talking about um, about how they want to transform their business, and it combines concepts from IoT uh, mm-hmm. together with other things that are happening in their industry, other things that are happening in their technology, um, and and this becomes one piece in a in a very important puzzle. So we kind of have this two sided discussion right on the technology side of how they're going to pursue and how they're going to manage the concepts and topics of IoT. And on the other, the real-world projects where uh, a little bit of new IoT together with a little bit of what they've done before and maybe some other new technologies come together to bring them something, someplace they didn't, uh, they didn't expect to go, which is not necessarily the journey they set out on, but it works anyway. Interesting. And and Ira, I, I did a little trivia look up. You know I always do on the sources of the quotes our panelists submit. I didn't know that Henry Miller's middle do you know Henry Miller's middle name? I'll ask a question. Ira, do you know it? I don't. It's Valentine. 
Henry Valentine Miller. There you go. And he was a little bit of a groundbreaker. He developed a new kind of semi-autobiographical novel that blended character study, social criticism, philosophical reflection, explicit language, woo-hoo-hoo, the S-E-X word, surrealist free association, and mysticism. So he was uh, breaking ground and looking for relationships in his writing, too, just to circle all that back. Thank you, Irene, again. Welcome back. We're going to circle around to the front of the table again and talk to Frank Gillette at Forrester. Frank, mm. I have a big question for you. Maybe the toughest Uh-oh. thing we're going to talk about all day. You're ready for it. I know you are. What's in your cup right now and or what are you thinking about drinking after the show? Frank Gillette, talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I have in front of me a hot mocha. Uh, it happens to be made with Pete's coffee. I really like the combination of the espresso drink, which I can't take by itself, upsets my stomach, the oh. warm milk, and chocolate with not too much sugar so often these are too sweet but you want one that's not it's just enough to take the the harshness off the the espresso uh and and really give you sort of that nice combination that nice blend that nice synthesis of experience Sounds like you're a scientist. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I, plan. I can do scientists. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 well, the, the mechanical engineering degree doesn't quite make me a scientist, but I really like science stuff. Um, the, the, the drink, the other drink that I might have gone yes. for, although typically I'm not you know, drinking it in the morning, um, is a ginger beer or a good cocktail made with a good hearty ginger beer. It's got to be made with really real brewed ginger, none of these natural flavors or ginger flavors. No, real ginger. So um, there's a few uh, brands. Um, it, they're often local, they're often small. You have to hunt around and find them in smaller stores. Um, but a great hearty uh, ginger beer and um, uh, a dark and stormy or, or something like uh-huh. that is really good. Tell me something. Is your favorite brand Barrett's or Gosling's or Fever Tree or Reeds? Any of those resonate with you, Frank? So the, the Reeds, the Reeds goes uh, is of the ones you mentioned. Reeds is pretty good. Um, there's a um, a main brand that I'm going to space on, but I'll tweet it out in a minute when I find it. Um, but uh, uh, there's a, a, literally a brand called Awesome in a green bottle um, <laughs> that that I like the best. And I believe like under the covers, it's, it's made by somebody non-obvious like Newton or, or, or something like that. But um, it's really hard to find. Uh, so yeah, it's the, the, I find the ones I like are not the ones I tend to hear about from other people. Oh, very interesting. There's also a uh, Brun- Bundaberg. Bundaberg, yeah, check the flavors. This is all about going to the science route you were talking about. So main route is the, is the one I was trying to think of. Um, that's, a, that's a sipping ginger beer. It's so strong that you take it in small sips, um, and uh, it's really good. Um, so reeds, main route, and I'm going to find the third one for you here in a minute. I think you should. Thank you very much. I've just been educated on ginger beer. I was mm. going to say you're an espresso sci- or an espresso engineer and a ginger beer engineer, and that yeah. all rhymes. So there, there, Frank Gillette, thank you for your smile. I can hear you smiling. Laura Merling, sure. I don't know if you can compete with that, but you certainly don't have to. What are you drinking right now, or what do you, would you love to be drinking, Laura? <laughs> well, I'm sort of in the same category as Frank. I'm, I'm actually drinking a cappuccino. And what happens to be special about this is it's actually from a local um, roaster. The, uh, it's in this neighborhood called the Dog Patch in San Francisco, and it's uh, called Front. 
And it's, it's, it's all about the experience for me when I drink my cappuccino. So it's mm. got a roll-up garage. Like you walk up to it, it's on a sidewalk in a warehouse. They roll up the garage, and there's people there brewing it for you. It's where all the local baristas go. It's their favorite. And it also, in the morning, when you sit out there, you're facing east while you're sitting there drinking your coffee, and you have the sun on you. So it's all about the experience, which if you think about kind of what we were talking about earlier, I think Ira had mentioned something about digital transformation and, yes. and the concepts around IoT, and it's all tied back to what's the experience you're creating for the customer. So, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for that, Laura. I, I love that we can picture that. We can picture you there. Uh, experiences, I think, what we're all looking for. And I would guess it's because we're so overwhelmed with data and work and having to do so many things on schedule and on demand. And when we have those times that we can absorb something that makes us happy or makes us think about being somewhere else, the experience really is important, isn't it? It More and more. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. And a shout out to Peggy, uh, Peggy Gillar, for helping us uh, get you on board for this, just in case Peggy's listening. And let's turn to Ira Burke. Mr. Burke, you've been on so many times. I don't know what you're going to tell me you're drinking today, so I'm just going to say, surprise me. Well, I, I've just run out of answers. I mean, that, that's the problem. I think <laughs> I've done this too many times now, so I have nothing new to say. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to have to reach backward a little bit. Um, okay. So, uh, so, so my experience this morning is really simple. It's a cup of uh, drip coffee, half calf, half decaf, right? Not to get uh, not to get too much caffeine, uh, tallies, and uh, and uh, maybe there's time left in the day for something more interesting. And what would that something more interesting be? Come on, tease us uh, yeah, a little. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it might it might be something that's single malt. Ah, okay. All right. Just a little more information about Ira Burke. I also didn't know that you have a couple of degrees from MIT. You've been hiding that from me in your bio all these years, Ira. So uh -oh. nice nice to know as well. Uh, Laura doesn't know this and Frank doesn't know this, but they don't let Bonnie have caffeine on radio show days. I wonder why. So I usually have a cup of water, filtered water with a green straw for the green, the good stuff, money, or just going green or a yellow straw. But today I just have a a bottle of water next to me and I'll sip it judiciously in between talking with all three of you. So we're going to go for our first break. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio. We have a wonderful experience going already with our three panelists. We have Frank Gillette from Forrester, Laura Merling, and Ira Burke from SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and I plan to be after the break. And our topic today is survey says, ding, transform your business with IoT. And the question is, how how much, when, and maybe it's still why will help you figure all of that out. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. 
Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. We're in the middle of a very interesting discussion about transforming your business with IoT. What does it mean? Let's talk to Frank Gillette, VP and Principal Analyst serving CIOs at Forrester. And Frank, Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the notes you sent me. Here's an interesting topic. I think we'll kick off the roundtable with the following. You say there are two, two very different ways of thinking about using IoT as an IoT maker and as an IoT operator. And you add Mm -hmm. that product designers are the makers, figuring out how to put the sensor in and connectivity to the product so they can mm-hmm. create a better experience. Much of the industry discussion today is about the makers. So let's mm-hmm. talk about the operators. Frank Gillette, why don't you take us through this? All right. So uh, what we're talking about is the difference between designing and creating an experience and then operating in, on an ongoing basis. So if we, take, uh, if we start with a company that makes a physical good, they are a company who makes something. Um, and with the possibilities of the Internet of Things, the idea is that you put a sensor and or an actuator that connects to the digital computer world so that you can receive data about what's going on and send instructions to make something happen automatically from uh, a computer instruction. Um, so these people are product engineers, or product designers. They're in the product creation part of the company. Uh, and their problem is how to redesign the experience, what kind of sensors, you know, there's a bunch of practical choices of technologies, and then how to put it in the field um, and make sure there's a great customer experience and that everything's uh, designed and ready to go to run the, the customer experience on an ongoing basis. So uh, you see companies um, uh, like PTC, like uh, SAP, all trying to design, help their customers design things into products, whether they're giant bulldozers and tractors, um, uh, little Fitbits on, on our, uh, uh, clipped onto our pocket or on our wrist, um, bathroom scales that phone home with your weight, or uh, you know, it could be cars. That's all creating uh, the product. The, the operators are people in any company, not just ones who make physical goods, who are trying to figure out how to use the capabilities of products they've purchased or assets that maybe they've retrofit um, where you've added sensors onto something that you already own, and you're trying to use it to run a business process. So instead of being someone who makes a product, as in designs it, um, you're running a business process, and you want better uh, information and better control over that. And so you're trying to run a manufacturing line, a supply chain, a mining operation. Your job is get stuff done. Um, so very, very different perspectives. You're buying different technologies, um, and you're thinking about this whole Internet of experience. Uh, Internet of Things experience in very different ways. 
Frank, who does, is this done by different people in a company? Can somebody be yes. the chief IoT maker and the chief IoT operator? Is it a person? Is it a department? Just a little more before we get Laura and I sure. in on this. They, what do they you are think? different kinds of people. And by the way, these phrases are ones that I'm using to describe things to help people categorize and pull apart two different ideas. They're not mm-hmm. in common usage yet. Um, okay. So, uh, what, what you'll know you find an IoT maker when you find the product engineering team, the product designer, um, the uh, um, uh, product management person, um, product design. So it's, they're in, in design creation roles. Um, you'll know that you are thinking about IT, uh, IoT operations um, when you find someone responsible for running an ongoing business process um, like uh, running a factory or a, a, an assembly line within a factory, run, um, responsible for a fleet of trucks that go out and make service calls for customers or deliver goods. Um, so, you know, that person, the IoT operator, is a line of business uh, person um, who is responsible for executing business operations that have nothing to do with designing products. Thank you very much. I want to get Laura Merling in on this. Laura, thoughts on IoT maker, IoT operator, uh, the chasm, or the joining of the two? What's your observation? Yeah, actually, um, this is a, a really interesting topic, and I like the, uh, the maker versus the operator. But when you think about IoT, and uh, it's interesting, we get asked a lot, who, who's leading IoT or who's leading, we'll say, the broader digital transformation within a company? And it really depends on the company and the culture of the company. And it could be anybody from the CIO to the line of business owner. Mm-hmm. So it could be the maker. It could be the operator. It could be the mm-hmm. CTO, the chief technology officer, or even many companies now have what's called the chief digital officer, right? So mm-hmm. who leads that transformation and how it gets done depends upon the culture of the company and where, where the pain point is starting from um, or where the interest in changing the business is coming from. So it really will depend upon, you know, that as how you get there. I think across all of them, the one thing that, that many folks don't do and we've, we've, we've started doing here is if you think about, it, it is about a journey, right? It's about a process that you're improving. It's a journey. It's an experience, whether your experience is part of the company or part of an experience that you're giving to an end consumer or a, or a business partner. And so um, there's something called a journey map. And that journey map is created by interviewing everybody that touches that process along the way. It's looking at what the pain points are that people experience. It's, it's understanding what the flow is, where things are paper that may, maybe need to be automated or a manual that need to be automated, and then figuring out how do you address those pain points. And those pain points may or may not be addressed by IoT, but it's, it's thinking through that whole process of automation because if you just think about the last, we'll call it the last mile, you will have missed all the other things that created that that opportunity at the end to, to really improve your business. And so for me, the convergence of sort of the, the maker and the operator is making sure that you actually take the time to create a journey map. Journey map, that's interesting, and, and uh, I haven't heard that. What's a journey map, Laura? So a, a journey map is this um, actual detailed um, mapping of a process. So if you were to take a a, a buying process, you might map everything from what's the experience when somebody goes to search for a product, to logging in to to buy the product, to then actually purchasing the product, to then getting the um, order confirmed, and then getting it shipped. 
you, you could have that entire process mapped out in a, each segment of it, who touches it, what are the elements that are needed from it, what are the current pain points for it. So it's, it's really mapping out a user's journey or a journey um, or a process itself in the next level of detail. Very interesting. Thank you. And going back to uh, Frank was saying that the terms IoT maker and operator are not in general use and, and the idea of a journey map, Laura, we love to be groundbreaking here on SAP Game Changers Radio. So we could just say breaking news. We've got some new terminology for you. Very happy about that. Ira Burke, you've been listening. What do you think? Talk, jump, jump in anywhere. A lot going well, on. So, so, no, so first of all, I'm absorbing all these wonderful ideas and thinking about how we, how we can apply them and the questions that are coming back when we, uh, when we engage customers, when we get into the level of an individual, um, you know, project or opportunity, a customer who wants to approach, uh, wants to approach IoT. And I'm thinking about a CEO that we're about to have a conversation with in the next one to two weeks. And his very broad question to us is, you know, in my company, how are we going to do IoT? And I think that this framework, first of all, of separating the problem into an IoT maker, an IoT operator, mm-hmm. one way to look at it, and maybe the CEO has both under his uh, control, and mm. maybe he'll separate out the problem. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's a, a way for him to think about the problem. And then just you know, picking up from what, from what Laura said, right, to map out what their, what their journey might look like. What do they want to achieve? What do they want to accomplish? What do they want to improve? What's in their hand now? Um, I think this is a very interesting way to open up the discussion with a, uh, with in this case, a CEO who is looking to approach IoT. Hmm, interesting, Frank. I hear you in the background. Thoughts on what Ira and Laura just shared on your topic? So, uh, journey mapping is a well understood concept in the world of uh, customer experience. And so that, um, in fact, unlike IoT maker and IoT operator, are, are known understood terms, um, and, and there's a lot of discipline and thought about how you design a customer journey map to understand um, the entry points for interacting with a brand, um, the decision points, the flows, um, and how to redesign that customer journey uh, to create a better customer experience. So um, new to our conversation, but, but a, a great, well-established um, idea out there um, and something that we see a lot of uh, Forrester research clients looking at and using uh, to really focus on improving the way they win, serve, and retain customers. Thank you. Um, Frank, before we move on to some of Laura's talking points, I wanted to put something on the table here. You talk about there's a lot of confusion about what is IoT, so maybe we need to do Mm. a little bit of level setting. Uh, Here's something that I I guess is commonly thought people think that Uber – very much in the news, very big deal yeah. here in New York because it is transforming transportation on so many levels and a lot going on behind the scenes in the taxi industry. They are not happy mm. campers. They mm-hmm. are out of work. This is not good, according to them. However, the hated Uber, it's here to stay. And they're mm-hmm. actually getting into mass transit, I understand, with smart route- routing and discounts mm-hmm. for picking up on that corner versus in the middle of that block. A lot going on. Good articles out there. But you say Uber is not an IoT use case. Is that what people think it is, Frank? Help me with this. Yes, I've had people directly tell me they think uh, uh, Uber is an IoT use case because it is rearranging the way people use physical world goods. And my response is that uh, Mm -hmm. we already understand the Uber use case and many like it that are simply based in the general purpose computing devices we know and use already, particularly smartphones. So if you can do it with only 
smartphones on both ends, which is what you have between an Uber driver and an Uber passenger, then I would say, no, we understand that phenomena, and it's called mobile. Um, to me, it's only new and interesting when you've added a digital sensor or a digital actuator um, that didn't used to exist. That is, you're getting new sensor information about the world out there. Um, so, for example, if there were a sensor in the car that the Uber driver was using that was part of the equation, that would be IoT. So Zipcar, founded in 2000, from the beginning was an IoT use case. Uh, it's a um, car sharing business where mm -hmm. the cars you rent by the hour, first over the web and then uh, by uh, phone now. But there is, a, there is a digital computer in the car with a radio communicating over um, Internet data, sending out the GPS location, and it lets you on your phone remotely unlock the car. So you have both sensor, where's the car, and actuator, please honk the horn or unlock the car. Um, so uh, the other end of the spectrum, uh, Bonnie, that's really interesting about what is IoT and isn't is people who are talking about digital identity of a physical object as being IoT. And so there is a company called Everything in London that says, hey, you know, if you just put a barcode or an, an, uh, a passive RFID tag on a device, that it lets you identify the device, look it up electronically, and interact with information about that device. But the it, device itself is dead. There's no sensor, no actuator. Mm -hmm. I'm open on whether that's IoT or not, because having a unique digital identity is, means that that device now has an interaction with the digital world. But I'm not necessarily convinced that that's strictly IoT. That may be an extra thing. So on the one end, is mobile, is something that purely mobile IoT? I say no. Um, Got to be a sensor or an actuator connected to the Internet in some fashion or form. At the other end of the spectrum, if all you're doing is digital identity and you don't have a sensor or actuator, is that IoT? Maybe. It's an interesting use case, but by itself it's less interesting. Interesting. Before I move on, Laura, uh, Ira, anything on uh, Frank's use case discussion? So, so when I, when I was listening to Frank, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm putting this into the context of the kinds of questions and opportunities that we hear about from customers. And, I, and, on, and on one hand, I agree with what Frank is saying, that there is um, you know, this idea of defining what's the IoT and being very, being very clear and precise about what is and what is not IoT, and that's especially important for the implementation side, for the standards, uh, for, uh, for knowing how to manage the environment. Uh, but there's another side where these questions, even though something may be kind of in this fuzzy area or borderline, are not really IoT because we didn't add any new um, hardware that wasn't that wasn't there before. For example, um, it still is something that in that, that at least that, that what I've seen is that in a customer's mind, it's opening up exactly the same kind of questions. Right, so mm. Uber and Zipcar are very different in terms of the technology that's required, uh, but very similar in terms of I've got a computer system that now knows the location and the availability of a car. Uh, one has a driver and one doesn't. So from a business perspective, I don't see it as strongly black and white. From a technology perspective, I think it's very sharply divided. And I think you know, when, when we're having real-world conversations, I think it's important to walk in with both, uh, with both perspectives, and I think they're both helpful. Ira, Frank, I like the, the, the thinking about, well, uh, flip it around from the business point of view rather than the mm -hmm. technology point of view. Um, and it's, so it's interesting to look at both ends. Uh, I'm going to be interested to hear what Laura says. Yeah, Laura, talk, talk to us. <laughs> well, the thing that I found interesting enough is when I think of IoT, there's usually um, some connectivity from the sensor to something else 
right? Mm -hmm. And um, Frank, the two examples you gave were completely the opposite of that, right? So the the Uber is uh, has connectivity. It's mobile connectivity, which, by the way, there's tons of like sims out there that are used for connectivity in in IoT, formerly known as machine to machine. But yes, and yes. then in the case of the in the case of the um, digital identity, where you hmm. you might just have a, a passive tag on something yes. that has an identity, that one has no connectivity, right? Correct. So so the interesting and and ha- a lot of how we have spent uh, our our time is so you know we're not necessarily inv- involved at creating a, a sensor. Um, but there's, we always require connectivity from whatever that thing is to some data repository so you can actually do, get some insight and then take action on that insight. Right, right. And so then the so, question is, is it about it being connected or not connected? But you have to have access so, to that. So is it well, um, active it, so or here's passive? The thing, yeah. I found that interesting. So I found it interesting, too. So in the case of, of, of Uber, it's all in the smartphone that walks out of the car with the driver and the passenger until you put, you know, I can immediately rattle off automatic and a bunch of other devices that you can add to a car that would begin to interact with the Uber experience and extend them into the IoT world. Yep. In the the case of of digital identity, where it could simply be a barcode or a QR code on the device, um, there is no, quote, connectivity directly from the device, but there are those who argue with me that by scanning that barcode, you are creating, quote, virtual connectivity um, between your experience with that device and digital information about the device, and it sends you off to interact with um, digitally uh, a, a digital avatar of the device, so the material safety data sheet of the table that's in front of me or the huge piece of equipment, where I can, I can programmatically, you know, with software, interact with information about the device, add things to its history, like I broke the leg off the table today, um, and it got repaired, and, and so it, it, it's I agree with you. I actually want digital connectivity directly to the device with electronics in the device. But this other use case to me is extremely intriguing and and sort of on the spectrum. Um, But I still struggle if someone is just holding a sitting there, holding a mobile phone or a tablet and wants to say it's IoT. I'm like, dude, we already understood that before any of this IoT conversation started. So there's nothing new there yet. (laughs) Ira? So, you know, actually, in an earlier earlier show, we had a short discussion about the concept of virtual sensors, right? So even when there's not a physical sensor in the location or a physical actuator in the location, uh, very often you can compose one in software Mm. based on the information that you do have. And again, mm-hmm. while the technology, the management of that technology can be entirely different from the management of technology around IoT, the business mm. problems that could address, not only are they very similar, uh, but they can be a lot cheaper, right? You can, you can reuse what's in the environment. You can use the information that's there to compose maybe not 100% of what you could do with a dedicated sensor, but how many dedicated sensors can you really put in the environment, oh. and how do you create a complete picture of what's happening so- in the real world? And I think that's where these two concepts come together. So, Ira, help me understand the virtual sensor idea. Is it is it integrating information from other sensors in the environment to sort of derive a, a, a higher level of analysis? So um, it is. It um, so it's so okay. other sensors in the environment, but also other information that you have about the environment. Ah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, okay. so, for example, right, if you don't have a, a detector to, to uh, figure out earthquake activity, seismic activity in a certain area, what can you derive from the information that you do have about weather, information that you might have from video cameras, information you might have from other uh, sensors passing through the area for other reasons, right, mm-hmm. and create a sense of virtual picture that is the, the same or nearly the same as what you'd have if you had the real sensor 
sitting there. So why isn't and, that IoT analytics? Yeah. Um, a, okay. Yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, yeah the, the crossover is not the technology. The crossover is it's the same business question, right, that, that we get. Mm-hmm. How do I find out what's happening in my, in my company, in my environment, with my products, with my customers, uh, with mm-hmm. the world where they're operating, and how can we start? What can we use that's there? to get mm-hmm. started and where is the most critical place that we do need to invest in IoT and real sensors and real actuators. Now, that's a great jumping-off point for me to move into a segue into Laura's notes. Laura, I'm looking at what you sent me, some good stuff here, and I'm going to combine two of your talking points. Let's see if we can go there. Number one, you say most IoT data are not used currently. Only 1% of data, you gave an example from an oil rig, with 30,000 sensors, only 1% is actually examined. And then you talk about perfect knowledge. We're heading toward a world of perfect knowledge. Why don't you combine these two? How do we get from only 1% of data, perhaps that's a great great exemplary example, excuse me, uh, from the oil rig of 1%. Why, what's happening to the other 99%? Why are the sensors picking it up if nobody wants it? Maybe they want it. They don't know how to get it. They don't know how to analyze it. They don't know how to mine it. And mm. where are we going with perfect knowledge? Laura, thoughts? Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so I think the, the, the great part about this is the, the amount of opportunity um, for let's say the oil rig, um, the, the data had been used in the past more for, I think, longer-term um, planning, maintenance, and it wasn't always used as a real-time near, you know, I need to, I need to look at the maintenance on the, um, in real-time I need to determine if there's an issue with the oil rig, whether it be a maintenance problem, a safety problem, uh, whatever it is. And so what happens is, you don't necessarily need all the data that comes off the sensors to do some sort of insight. The, the, the idea is find what's the most value, valuable and combine that with other data to then derive some value. It's all about the derived value you get from the data, which is why it's, it's important to kind of say you've got sensor data, but you also have external data that comes in, and then that's where you derive the value. So we call it asset to action because that derived value then leads you to do something. And when you need that data varies. If you're going to change your business operations, and we were having a conversation with um, a company the other day, and the response time is critical to changing safety, we'll say, for, for employees. And so it needs to be able to react and respond in, we'll say, less than 100 milliseconds. It needs to be able to respond to protect someone. That's and that way, you need that data right away. A lot of times the data was, in the, in the past, it was taken and it was stored, and we'll figure out what to do with it later to, you know, make changes to our business over the course of years. This is, I need it right now. And then there's things that you need, well, I need an answer in, you know, maybe 20 seconds or 30 seconds. Um, maybe this is more about you want to, you're in retail and you want to make an offer to somebody as they're walking through a particular aisle, you probably got... 20 seconds or so to actually get that response back to them. It might be more like 10 seconds, but, but it's not a matter of life or death, urgent to, you know, this piece of equipment is, is going to run into another piece of equipment or into an individual. And then you have data that is used at a later point in time. And so I think about it, it's, it's, um, there's, a, there's a great um, model for thinking, which, which Disney uses that I love. It's the right information the right time to the right person. And in this mm-hmm. case, I'd replace person to thing because the 
thing or asset. It could be a person, it could be a, a piece of equipment, it could be a piece of clothing. Um, but it's all about right information, right time, right, right person. And I think that's where it needs to head. So this perfect knowledge is only perfect knowledge if you use it in the right scenario. Thank you, Laura. I want you to give some examples. You have a couple of use cases here in your notes about how global companies are actually transforming their business models, which was one of our challenges to explore in my opening of the show today. How are global companies actually transforming business models with IoT and taking advantage of top and bottom line benefits of IoT? Uh, you, you told me about Harley, Kaiser, and GEA. You want to pick two of those and tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, so um, they're very interesting. So Kaiser is actually um, completely changed what they do and how they run their business as a is how they bring in revenue and make money. So they used to actually, you know, rent out compressors, take an air compressor, and and they they they'd give you an air compressor, and you, or maybe you'd buy it. You could rent it. You could buy it. Um, what they've now done is you actually don't pay for the physical piece of equipment anymore. You actually pay for the usage of that equipment. So mm-hmm. how much compressed air gets created? Um, how much do you it's, – it's more about the usage of it versus the physical asset itself. And it's really interesting because there's a lot of companies changing to this, you know, looking to move to this type of model. Um, if you think about in, in farming um, – uh, we've, we've got another customer we've been working with that has put sensors on, on tractors. Well, the additional value you could bring to your customer isn't just saying, okay, you've got a tractor and now you can track the maintenance on it, but those same sensors have information off the soil and the ground that now is valuable to you as the farmer to know what you need to do from an irrigation perspective, um, et cetera, or from a replanting perspective and crop rotation. You also then that same data is also even valuable to people in the in the in the um, local we'll say economy. So think the county or the state about what's happening to the soil. So it, it changes that company that was providing tractors for <laughs> farmers is now actually providing a value-added service to the farmers and providing data and value-added service to a state. Right. So it really changes the way you think about the whole process. Um, another and that, that and another example is um, the one you mentioned about Harley Davidson. So mm-hmm. this was about how do you create a, a custom bike and, and optimize? We'll call it a a, 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 a a unique. I'm a customer. I have a unique need, a unique thing that I want in terms of a design. How do you op- optimize going from I'm a customer and I want to place a unique order to how do you deliver that in a timely fashion? So it's operating, um, optimizing the whole process from end to end where you can actually increase productivity and output um, in the range of, let's say, 20 to 30 percent by just by um, enabling an automation of that part of the business from, from I'm a buyer to automating operations on the back end for switching out which parts, depending upon what you've made, it actually changes, sends um, information to the sensors and the triggers on the production line that says, Instead of this part, you need this part. Instead of this part, you need that part. Instead of making it blue, make it orange. And so it's really an interesting way to operationalize your business and get more production. So those are just a, a couple examples, but it really just changes how people do their, do their business. Thank you, Laura. Frank. 
Go ahead. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of juicy follow-ups there, and, and maybe we can get our, Ira in on this, too. One thing that Laura hit on was the notion of product as a service. Um, basically, that, that uh, making a product is no longer about an asset transfer, a sale, but a creation of a relationship and an experience, which is a huge change for a product company that's just used to making air compressors. Um, uh, so, so that's a, a – I mean, we don't have time to sort of uh, really open that topic up, but that's huge. A second thing that Laura touched on with the, the tractor example – well, first I have to take a fun sidebar. Um, one of the amazing things about uh, agricultural examples are the connected cows. There are two different technologies I've seen for making connected cows, one that involves an ankle bracelet. Um, look it up. I believe it's Fujitsu. And the other one involves having the cow swallow a pill that sits in its stomach for its life that helps them understand the health of the cow and how to take care of it. Um, it just makes my head sort of explode to think about a connected cow. But anyway, so the real issue in agriculture in that tractor example is the tractor makers saying, hey, if you use our tractor and collect all the data, we own the data, not the farmer using the tractor. So as you move to notions of connected products and particularly product as a service, there's a real contest battle um, going on about who owns the data that's collected, who has the rights to that data, who has, you know, how do you pay for it? So there's a, there's a huge uh, challenge to explore, uh, which I think we're just beginning to understand around uh, data rights and ownership. The moment you go into this notion of IoT, and particularly if you're doing product as a service rather than uh, I still own the, you know, the customer still owns the asset. But even in cases where the customer owns the assets, there are now uh, contest disputes, battles about who owns the data. So I wanted to call out those uh, uh, things as really important topics that uh, our listeners should know about and start to explore. Thank you, Frank. And Frank, there's an article in farmanddairy.com. That's farmanddairy.com. Happy cows, as ankle bracelets prove, like to relax. If you want a dairy cow to produce as much milk as possible, make sure she spends enough time each day lying down, being content, and at ease. To be happy, she has to be comfortable in her pen or wherever she is. The Oregon right. State Dairy Center is using an Israeli-made, Ira, Israeli-made ankle bracelet that senses when a cow is lying down by Determining the angle of her leg to the ground. Get this. When a cow lies down, blood flow to the udder increases, which produces more uh -huh. milk. And they're also finding out when cows are, quote, unquote, in the mood. They're yes, tracking I was cows. make sure you found that one. <laughs> sex, sex, their sex appetite is, I can say that word, sex appetite is being tracked. Frank, you opened up a, you know what, Ira is already planning part two. <laughs> he said, I have to get these two back. We got it. We have so much more to talk about. And the good oh, news is, is that we have. Amount. The good news is we have a lot to talk about. The bad news is the show is over in six minutes and we have to move into the, into the, I know, I know it goes so fast. The predictions round, we're up to the crystal ball predictions round. So we're going to have to, to stop looking at all these wonderful talking points. I, uh, Ira, I suggest you talk with David and Mahira on your team and we just schedule a part two for your next IOT with Game Changers in the, in the schedule if you don't have something else or the one after that because we don't want to get too uh, off the track here. But I hope Frank and Laura would love to come back because we'd love to have both of you back. This is too good. And we can use the rest of the talking points we didn't use. So, Frank Gillette, you're up first. Crystal ball time. Let's back into home plate or slide in or let's use the sensor mm. and see if, there's a, see if there's a cow sitting on home plate and get her to move over because it's, <laughs> it's time for you, Moo. It's time for you to 
give us your predictions. I love the year 2020. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'm going to give you exactly, let's start with 60 seconds, very tight for predictions. Frank, if we met again at that time in the future and we Mm. talked about transforming your business with IoT for our global business audience, what will have changed? Any point in the future, go ahead, Frank, 60 seconds, predictions. Thank you. So today we're in, we're barely into the, is there an app for that stage of IoT where business and consumer people should be asking, is there an app for that? Meaning, can I get data out of that thing for me to work with? In 2020, it's, the, the question's going to be, can I get that as a service? Um, so what we uh, were saying is this upcoming topic, and there'll be, you know, hey, I want the premium service where I own the data, not the bargain service where you own the data and I have to pay you every time I want to look at, analyze, uh, and do the data. So the whole conversation will have changed away from widgets. Isn't that a cool sensor? To what's the business model? What's our relationship? How do we work together around this digital experience? Um, and, and just a transformation away from I buy this hard object and I own it and I don't have to deal with the manufacturer after that. There's 60 seconds for you. Thank you very much. We might have a little time for a bonus round. Laura Merling, you're up. 60 seconds predictions. How far in the future are you looking, Laura? 2020 is a good place to start. Um, I, uh, I think there's a couple of things. One is I think customers will actually have what I will call an, um, an IoT roadmap. They will have a plan mm-hmm. for parts of their business pretty well structured as the, as the market changes, as they see opportunities, as they really look down and evaluate their business and create the, the journeys. They'll actually have a roadmap for how they automate everything from manufacturing to the business-to-business side of their business to their business-to-consumer side of their business. I also think one of the other things that we hopefully we can come back because I would love to. We haven't talked about standards and openness. Oh. There's still <laughs> there's still a lot to be done in that space, but I think um, we're starting to see where companies that previously maybe weren't as open with um, access to their systems or to their data or to services they offer are going to have to turn around and make that open. So I think you'll see a lot more openness and industry standards in the market about how people interact with devices, with services, and with data. And that's a Mm -hmm. whole other topic we can have. It is. And, you know, I, I'm just looking back over the notes and Frank's opening quote from David Rose, the introduction to his new book, Enchanted Objects. Ira, I propose to you and your team that we call part two of this Enchanted Objects. Let's like explore it. something yeah. like that. I, I love it. I don't know if David Rose is going to want royalties for that. We might have yeah. to invite him to Frank. Right. Get, yep. get us David Rose. Invite him to be a drop-in guest. He can just talk in the first five minutes of the show if you want to help totally engage him. Connect. I mm-hmm. I think that would be a lot of fun. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. We're just in exploration mode here. Services and sensors. Ira Burke, I can give you 60 seconds for predictions. What do you see? Well, so, so first of all, the great thing about predictions is that we can skip over some of the most difficult topics and get to when everything's already been figured out. So, uh, so if we look ahead to the time when standards have been established, when companies do know where to turn and how to get IoT installed and run it correctly and know how to work with the centers and actuators communication, 
um, then what we're going to see is a menu of services that will be able to create new business processes from that includes IoT as a go-to capability together with predictive analytics, together with understanding geospatial, together with understanding big data. All these things are going to come together more and more easily, more and more logically, uh, so that we can spend even more of our time focusing on the business problems that customers are identifying, the new opportunities that they see, and um, and at the same time working on whatever comes next in the technology. So I think it's it's going to be very exciting as this technology becomes more and better defined as companies work to know how they're going to deploy it and manage it and use it, and then start to reap the benefits from including this as part of the menu of capabilities for building new business capa- new business opportunities. Thank you, Ira. Frank Gillette, what a pleasure. Shout out mm. to our friends at Forrester for helping us get you. Laura Merling, delighted to meet you. Good thoughts. And Ira Burke, what can I say? You're like the backbone of this series because you sponsor it and you can come back anytime you want. Shout out also to your colleagues, Mahira Kaleem Mahira. Thank you wherever you are for scheduling this topic and uh, reaching out to Frank and Laura. Appreciate that. And David Yonker, part of the team. Thank you to Justin and the Business Channel team for getting us on the air and keeping us on the air. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to Enchanted Objects for part two of this conversation, Iris. So why don't you just toss a couple dates at us on email and let's book these nice people and get them back on the air soon, soon, soon. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Maybe it has a sensor in it. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it tells you you had too much coffee this morning and the seatbelt isn't going to fasten. I don't know. But what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you soon on Game Changers Radio. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.